Welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Lorena Rose. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Aliza Ora. Today we are wrapping up our mini-sode mini-series on UFO religions, and we will be talking about Urantia. Content warning. Around the 19-minute mark, we're going to be discussing some of the disgustingly racist ideas expressed through the Urantia book and elsewhere by its founders. We were not aware of these views when we chose to highlight this UFO religion, but we included this information because we felt it was important for listeners to have a full picture of Urantia. They are overseen by the Urantia Foundation, which was founded by a psychiatrist named Lorena. You know this one. William Sadler! But not the William Sadler from Roswell, unfortunately. Or fortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This William Sadler lived at the beginning of the 1900s. Yes, so the core text of this religion is the Urantia book, which was revealed to Dr. Sadler and his wife, Lena, who was also a Dr. Sadler. And this was between 1906 and 1911. Unlike many of the religions we've talked about, the Sadlers did not come face to face with any aliens. Rather, the whole shebang was conveyed to them through a human who channeled messages from the extraterrestrial beings while he slept. He was unconscious. For the whole thing. Okay. So the sleeping subject, as they referred to him, would speak these messages from the aliens aloud, and they would be written down by the Sadlers and a few of their intimates. And then they eventually turned this into a kind of philosophical study group where they would ask questions of the celestial beings, and the questions were all answered through the sleeping subject, which I think is very courteous (laughs) of the aliens to be so prompt with their responses. And so thorough. Oh my gosh, so thorough. Like 2,000 pages worth of thorough, right? A lot. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. So the Sadlers never identified the sleeping subject, but in a recent book, the author Martin Gardner suggests that it was most likely Wilfred Custer Kellogg, who was married to Lena Sadler's sister and also was her cousin. And Mm -hmm. uh, he was a nephew of Will Keith Kellogg and John Harvey Kellogg, the cornflakes guys. And we're going to talk more about... Yeah, we're going to talk more about John Harvey Kellogg later, because, whoa, so stay tuned for that. Okay, so like I said, the messages were all conveyed orally until 1925, when the sleeping subject went home to discover a handwritten document in his house that just had all these juicy tidbits about the nature of the cosmos all written out for him. That's so convenient. Yeah. So the various messages were compiled and published as the Urantia book in 1955. So this is more than 50 years after they started this connection to the space beings. And the book in its printed form is 2,097 pages long. It consists of 196 individual papers on various subjects divided into four sections. So part one is the central and super universes, or the really big picture, and this includes the nature of God. Part two, the local universe, which is basically the administration of our regional star cluster. Part three, the history of Urantia, and Urantia is the name that these celestial beings gave to our planet Earth. And part four, the longest section at 773 of the 2097 pages, the life and teachings of Jesus. Surprise! They're (laughs) weird Christians, but not really Christians. But they believe in Jesus, 
and a bunch of weird stuff. So, Eliza, when you looked into this, I think you were like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I recognize that, like, Christian sects probably don't recognize them as a Christian sect. But to me, like, if a if a religion, a group of people who call themselves a religion, if they accept Jesus as God's son and, like, worship Jesus, that's Christ- that's Christianity to me. You know, it's like... Uh, tell that to all the messianic Jews out there. No, they are Christians. <laughs> Jews for Jesus are Christians, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, whether or not they agree with me, uh, they are Christians. Um, and, and Urantia seems like Christians too, um, you know, because different sects of Christianity do believe different things. And I, you know, really the way I brought it to to our conversation was like what's the difference between this and a sect of Christianity? And we will absolutely get into that. Okay, cool. I was going to say one thing I noticed in the reading that I did was they, they did say that like, they talked about the father, the son and the Holy spirit, this Trinity, but um, Jesus is not what they call the eternal son being like the part of the Trinity. Jesus was one of like, many sons like millions of sons of god that have existed over time in different universes and planets and places like he's the one we had on our planet was kind of the way i understood it so Mm -hmm. just coming from a christian background myself that would be where that 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 branches off from traditional christianity where jesus is part of the trinity of god right so in their trinity the son is like it's it's like the role of the son, not specifically Jesus. Correct. Yeah. I still don't get exactly how that works. <laughs> okay. Speaking of religious identities, William Sadler was a former Seventh-day Adventist. Oh. So a lot of the beliefs in the Urantia book echo those of the Seventh-day Adventists, but not the really bad ones that I'll talk about later. So I don't want any confusion there. Um, beyond lifting ideas from his former religion, Sadler may have also lifted some words from other human writers. Lorena, I know you found a little bit on this. Yeah, I did find some information about this. So, um, back in the early 90s, there was a reader of the Arantia book, uh, named Matthew Block, um, who thought he recognized some material from other sources, and he published a paper that, uh, proved that the Arantia book uh, lifted material from it from at least 15 other books, which he could concisely identify at the time of publishing the paper. And since that time, he has discovered over 125 different texts that the Urantia book has plagiarized from. So they took their ideas from a lot of different places. Wow. But of course, no, they didn't, because the Urantia book was not written by humans. It was conveyed to them by the celestial beings who live in outer space. So, problem solved, right? Those celestial beings probably just also communicated those thoughts to the 125 other authors that had the same information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So I read excerpts from the Urantia book, and it's 
pretty dense stuff. Um, it's too complicated to really get into all their beliefs about the structure of the universe. But so I'm going to give you a little taste from the books forward so you can understand why I didn't get as in-depth on their beliefs as I do on like most of the religions we've talked about. Okay, so here's a quote from the foreword. Your world, Urantia, is one of many similar inhabited planets which comprise the local universe of Nebadon. This universe, together with similar creations, makes up the super-universe of Orvantan, from whose capital, Uversa, our commission hails. Orvantan is one of the seven evolutionary super-universes of time and space which circle the never-beginning, never-ending creation of divine perfection, the central universe of Havona. At the heart of this eternal and central universe is the stationary Isle of Paradise, the geographic center of infinity, and the dwelling place of the eternal god. It goes on like this oh for 2,079 pages. I wouldn't even be able to finish the foreword. Or 2,000. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it's a lot. Or, sorry, 2,097 right, pages. Right. I don't want to leave anything out. Okay. So, golly. You may have noticed that Lisa used a lot of words there that aren't words, right? These names of <laughs> universes and planets and galaxies and whatever. Um, I initially had looked up how to pronounce Urantia because we were curious, like, is it Urantia? Is it Urantia? And I found this whole key of how to pronounce Urantian words. It has so many words on it. It took me a while to scroll down to you to find out the pronunciation of Urantia. So I was like, oh, oh no. Like, what, do they have their own language? Like, what is this? It's just so many words. Okay, so I also think it's really important to note, Eliza, that this whole thing about, like, where they have their own words is couched in this discussion of, like, we think it's really important to just speak plain English. So as much as possible, we're explaining these concepts to you in the simplest terms so that anyone could understand them. And they talk about how, like, these ideas are all, like, just these word symbols are just representations of things anyway. They're not the real thing. So it's like it gets into this weird philosophical thing where they're like, we're just going to speak plain English. Here's a glossary of all the words you probably don't know that we're about to use. Yeah. And it's like not even the, you know, definitions of, of these words you don't know. It's like literally you cannot pronounce these words. Here's how to pronounce them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. OK, so it's a lot. Um, I think think maybe one of the basic concepts i don't know um god is a super personal identity expressed in the concept of unity and so he doesn't manifest personally in the local universes but his creator sons do and so when when sorry when lorena said jesus isn't like the capital s son of god he's a son of god jesus is a creator son these creator sons created the universes of time and space and our local universe was created by the universal father's son, Michael. Are you confused yet? I'm so confused. We know Michael <laughs> as Jesus. But his other name's Michael. Yeah. So in an attempt to thwart Jesus's mission, Lucifer, who was a local universe son of God, worked with his assistant, Satan. Apparently Lucifer and Satan okay. are different people. Who knew? They worked together to foment a rebellion on Urantia. And that's why we're so backward and it's so hard for us to attain peace. Yeah, I'm not sure I really followed what? that. <laughs> No, I don't. I know, like, Lorena, I know you had a little bit more. I don't know if you want to get into it, but it's so confusing. So, like, Lucifer and Satan are, one, not the same, but two, they are basically the same level as Jesus, because it sounds like they're 
other creator sons of a different universe system and they like decided to like fuck with us and like mess us up for whatever reason i don't know why they care about us when they have their own universe to deal with but they did and they like fucked us over royally on earth so now we can't get our shit together and like be at one with the rest of the universe i get it i'm on it and jesus's name is michael okay Okay, I'm glad Lorena gets it, because I still don't. Yeah, me neither. I don't think I would be able to read (laughs) even one page of the Rancha book. Oh, okay. Well, so lucky for you, I have put together some excerpts on topics that I think are relevant. So there's, I mean, there's a lot. I don't want to misrepresent this. There's like a lot more of the religion stuff. But frankly, I find it incredibly confusing and very boring. So we're going to skip to the sexy parts. (laughs) <laughs> By which I, of course, mean Jesus, because... About to go wow, wow. <laughs> okay, the Urantia book includes a complete overview of Jesus's life, including his childhood and adolescence, which you do not get to hear about in the Christian Bible. And my big takeaway from this, which I absolutely don't think was intentional on their part, is that Jesus was a stone cold I believe it. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to read you some choice excerpts. I have cobbled these together from papers 127 and 128, which cover Jesus's adolescence and early manhood. Are you ready? Here are some quotes. Can I? Yes. Can I just ask first? Yes. Do they recognize that Jesus was not right? Oh, Eliza, what a great question. Hold that for like a few more minutes, and I think the oh, answer no. will become horrifyingly apparent okay. to you. Um, for any listeners who don't know, Jesus wasn't white because there were no white people in that part of the world. Continue, Lisa. Oh, boy. Okay. Quotes on sexy Jesus. Ready. <clears throat> Ready. He was a virile and comely youth. He possessed a healthy and well-proportioned body. He had many warm friends and stanch admirers among both the young men and young women of Nazareth. Yes, queer Jesus. Hey, bisexual Jesus. To be very clear, that part was not a quote. They don't say Jesus was bi. No, but they essentially just did, so. Okay, back into the quotes. Jesus was one of the most robust and refined specimens of manhood to appear on Earth since the days of Adam. His physical development was superb. His mind was active, keen, and penetrating. (gasps) Compared with the average mentality of his contemporaries, it had developed gigantic proportions, and his spirit was indeed humanly divine. Oh my goodness. He sounds great. Give him my number. (laughs) Sexy Jesus! Uh Okay, so again, to be fair, there is also a lot of God stuff in here. I feel like I need to say that at least partially because the Urantia Foundation is extremely litigious. They have tried to maintain a strict copyright over the Urantia book, which is unusual for religious text, um, but they do try to make it as accessible as possible. It's been translated into many languages, and on their website, there is an audio version. So if you want to hear someone read the text in a much less sexy voice than I just did, you can find it on their website. But um, speaking of things that aren't sexy... When I was doing my initial research, Lorena and Elisa, I was telling you, like, I couldn't really decide mm-hmm. how I felt about the Urantians, because at first I thought they were just, like, a bunch of well-meaning weirdos who thought Jesus was super hot, which, like, yeah. that seems cool, fine. But then I got into reading more of their papers, and I 
like at first I kept having this experience where I would be reading along and be like, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, what? And have these like record scratch moments. So I'm gonna um I'm gonna give you one of those. This is an example from Urantia paper 84, Marriage and Family Life. Okay. The modern idea of sex equality is beautiful and we're, and, and they mean gender by sex here. This was like in the early 1900s. Okay. So the modern idea of sex equality is beautiful and worthy of an expanding civilization. Great. So far Excellent. I'm on board. Great. But it is not found in nature. And I'm like, what? Okay. And then it goes on. Man did not consciously nor intentionally seize women's rights and then gradually and grudgingly give them back to her. All this was an unconscious and unplanned episode of social evolution. Uh... Like, okay, well, you're saying it's evolution, so I don't, I don't know. Okay. In the ideals of pair marriage, woman has finally won recognition, dignity, independence, equality, and education. And then I'm like, yeah, but will she prove worthy? Of all this new and unprecedented accomplishment. Oh. Hmm. Will modern women respond to this great achievement of social liberation with idleness, indifference, barrenness, and infidelity? This is a quote from their book. Barrenness. Like we... A woman, like a woman could respond to something with barrenness. I have no words. Yes, Eliza, is your choice going to be to respond to receiving new rights with becoming barren? Is that how you will show yourself not worthy? What the Look, heck? If I had the ability to control whether I was barren or not, I wouldn't be using contraception ever. But uh, we cannot control that. Yeah. They say that this is the crucial test of women's long world existence. Oh, my God. Okay. Like We gave all this back to you. You better be worthy of it. Nobody's asking, are the men worthy of all this? Okay. Okay. I, okay. <laughs> this is already how I'm feeling about them. And then we get to, in the same paper, modern problems of child culture are rendered increasingly difficult by, and then there's a list of a few things, and the first thing that makes uh, child culture difficult is... The large degree of race mixture. I don't like this. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I talked about the, I told you the Kellogg guys were involved. Mm. Um, and I'm curious, actually, because I heard this, this was like a story that got passed around my middle school, was like, ooh, did you know that cornflakes are supposed to help keep you from masturbating? Was this a thing for you guys? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I've never heard that. Well. Me neither. Fun fact. This ridiculous, silly little thing, it's true. It's true? I oh mean, so, goodness. like, not that not that easy of a thing, but, like, John Harvey Kellogg um, supposedly invented cornflakes as part of a bland diet to help suppress sexual urges. He was a surgeon, and he ran a sanitarium, and he hated sex so much. I am not going to tell you about the terrible things that he did to people, including children, <sighs> in the name of turning them away from sex, but it... Was bad. Um, and, like, again, Kellogg, this is the, the guy, the cereal guy. If you are buying Kellogg cereal, this is the guy oh, no. who invented that. Should we not be buying Kellogg's anymore? I mean, I assume he's dead. I mean, he's not around. Yeah. He's, okay, but, like, I don't, I know nothing about his family, and I'm not going to slander them. Right. I don't know about them. I'm just telling you about okay. this guy. He was a staunch eugenicist. This is the stuff I think is... Word, is racism yeah. carried to the extreme is fucking yeah. eugenics mm -hmm. okay he organized the first race race betterment conference 
1914 in Battle Creek, Michigan. So, okay, for anyone who's not familiar with eugenics, it's the idea that you can improve the human race. And by improve, they always seem to mean make whiter. Um, and they they want to accomplish this through selective breeding. This usually includes forced sterilization of people whose genes are deemed undesirable. It was made quite fashionable by the Nazis. Um, but before that, Kellogg was <sighs> was spouting this nonsense, this very harmful nonsense, at the 1915 World's Fair, the Panama Pacific Exposition in California, at his race betterment booth. And Kellogg was... William Sadler's mentor. Again, we're talking about the Urantia, the, William yes, Sadler. Yes, not the actor who I love dearly. Our Bill Sadler is perfect <laughs> and wonderful. Yes. Okay, so um, I, I also mentioned that Mrs. Sadler was also mm-hmm. Dr. Sadler. This is Dr. Lena Sadler, Kellogg's niece. There was obviously heavy influence here from the Kellogg's. Um, this was the... I mean, these were the people who were not Kellogg, but the Sadlers were the people who were receiving and recording the messages that would become the Urantia book. And this isn't like just a guilt by association thing. We see these ideas. Um, Here's some infuriating content from paper 52, Planetary Mortal Epochs, which discusses the traditional stages of species evolution that are carried out on different planets. Um, And we apparently screwed this one up real bad. So it wasn't just the Lucifer thing that's holding us back. I'm going to quote here. And I want to be super clear that I am quoting directly from the religious text, the Urantia book. Most worlds seriously address themselves to the tasks of race purification, something which the Urantia peoples have not even yet seriously undertaken. It is the false sentiment of your partially perfected civilizations that fosters, protects, and perpetuates the hopelessly defective strains of evolutionary human stocks. It is neither tenderness nor altruism to bestow futile sympathy upon degenerated human beings, unsalvable, abnormal, and inferior mortals. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible is not a bad enough word for it. Like, I was not expecting this when I started looking into these people. I am, like, shocked that this information isn't, um, like, when you search for Urantia, this should be the first thing that comes up. No, when you search for Urantia, it seems like, oh, here's a legitimate thing. Here's a Wikipedia page. Here's Urantia website. And, like, all, you know. Yeah, they just seem like. Like an organized religion. Right. Like a a weird, like, cultish offshoot of Christianity. But here's where I think mm, maybe they, like, we know no church would accept it. We don't think any church would say, yes, those are Christians. But I also don't know that they would even want that based on the sentiments in paper 99, the social problems of religion. I'm quoting again. I feel like I'm doing this a lot, but these aren't ideas that I felt comfortable paraphrasing and then saying to you in my voice. These are from the text. Quote, the church, because of overmuch false sentiment, has long ministered to the underprivileged and the unfortunate. And this has all been well. But this same sentiment has led to the unwise perpetuation of racially degenerate stocks which have tremendously retarded the progress of civilization, end quote. So I think, I mean, this is just like Jesus said, you know, blessed are you who are poor. Please go away now and never reproduce. I hate you. Right? Sure. Like, come on. How how are you going to be Jesus-loving people and be like, but don't help the poor? Oh, my God. So... I mean, I just hate this so much. Um, And if you hate this, which of course you do because you're decent people, you're also going to be incensed to hear about this next passage from a webpage purporting to answer the 20 most asked questions about Urantia. And I'm I'm not going to 
get into any more eugenic stuff. This is the last one because like we all know this is horrible and I don't need to keep reading to you these despicable claims that these people have said that are obviously false and harmful and horrific. But I want to read this one to you because the things that I've said so far um, are all from the Urantia book that was published in 1955. This one was written by the current president of the Urantia Foundation. Current as of he was named in the 2019 annual report, president of the Urantia Foundation. Okay, ready? This is awful. Quote, The laws of genetics are immutable and form the physical cornerstone of evolution. At the present time, mankind loses about as much progress as it makes by ignoring eugenics. End quote. (gasps) Full embrace of eugenics. Okay, so like I said, this was the current president of the Urantia Foundation. His name is Mo Siegel, and he also co-founded the multi-million dollar tea company Celestial Seasonings. Oh, oh no. While you're boycotting cornflakes. I love Celestial Seasonings. You might want to boycott Sleepy Time Tea. Oh, no. I, I do want to note that uh, Mo Siegel left Celestial Seasonings in 2002, but the uh, Urantia book's ideas were the inspiration for the uplifting quotes that they, I believe, still publish on... Yeah, the tea bag tags. Tag. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Why did you tell me that? You should know. I know, I know I need to know. Uh. Yep. Um, okay, so they have more than two thousand pages of material to dissect, and again, like a lot of their ideas are very nice and happy and they guide you towards having this personal relationship with God. And like if that's your thing, cool, but They also have ideas about the superiority of white people and the dangers of race mixing. So I say, screw them. Go find another religion that's not horrifying. Yeah, I think it doesn't matter what good things they've said. Once you see that they are like, yeah, eugenics is good because, like, you know, white people are a superior race. It kind of overshadows everything else. Yeah. And so I was curious what, like, your average Urantian has to say about this um and like obviously i couldn't no no one speaks for all of them i don't know exactly how many there are but i did find some message boards where people were just like "Mm, all religious texts say things that like i don't totally agree with but whatever and i was like okay so here's the thing the bible says things that like frankly i find morally reprehensible Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i say not to excuse it but the bible was written thousands of years ago society looked very different Mm -hmm. we don't follow those parts of it anymore not at all and most of us even look at the parts that say like don't like gay people we look at that and say obviously that's no longer applicable so don't do that be nice to everybody the urantia book again first published in 1955, with the memories of the Nazis' eugenics experiments just fresh in everyone's memories. So, I think this is completely um, indefensible. And I know that the vast majority of your engines are certainly not eugenicists, probably not racist. I don't know. But, you know, the Sadlers, even if you think they didn't write these things, then the aliens who wrote these things were also racist. And the people who founded the Urantia Foundation were absolutely hardcore eugenicists. Yes. Okay. Mr. Dr. Sadler published several books during his lifetime. A couple of them were Long Heads and Round Heads, or What's the Matter with Germany, which was published uh, during World War I to explain German aggression. And another title published in 1922 is 
Race Decadence, an Examination of the Causes of Racial Degeneracy in the United States, which you can still buy on Amazon, but don't. Obviously don't. Don't do that. So if you, for some reason, want to learn more, um, the official website of Urantia.org has the entire text of the Urantia book available to read or listen to. I personally wholeheartedly recommend not doing that. Although apparently a lot of people are really into it. According to the Urantia Foundation's 2018 annual report, there are over 800,000 physical Urantia books currently in circulation. They say hundreds of thousands more have been downloaded from the website. In 2018, they claim more than 650,000 visits to their website with 120,580 books downloaded just in that year. Um, Although no word on how many of those were true believers and how many of them were people like me who downloaded it when, oh my gosh, this is so freaking racist, and then decided to record a podcast telling everyone about it. (laughs) So my advice is just to, to stay away from this very long, very dense, very confusing, and occasionally very, very racist book. And, and misogynist, right? That too. Yeah, that too. Um, does the concept of eugenics also then apply towards people who have like mental or physical disabilities yes. as yep. being imperfect? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Race? Okay. I figured it would. Do you know who else? People with quote abnormal sexual practices. Yep. So basically not straight white people. Yes. Yep. So if you're not a straight white cis het person. Yeah. So all, all the boring people. <laughs> well, I know plenty of very nice. <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> But the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, diversity is what makes us wonderful. And, you know, it's important. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this horrifying discussion of the Urantia book and the Urantia Foundation. This concludes our series of minisodes about UFO religions. But if there is a UFO religion you wish we had covered, feel free to send us an email and tell us about it. Join us next Tuesday for our Season 1 wrap-up, where we'll be discussing all of the big arcs of Season 1 and what we think or hope is coming up in Season 2. You can always send us an email at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at roswellhotsauce. We also now have a Facebook page, so come and join the fun with us there on Facebook as well. And you can find our website at roswellhotsauce.com, where we post show notes about uh, where we find the content that we research. Until next time, we'll be busy reading books that are not super racist.